Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Okay. As is our tradition, we'll go ahead and go around the room and say our names. You can take a little time in between so it doesn't go so quickly. If I may, I'll begin. My name is Roy. Gary Dexter. Rich Arna. Jerry Martin. Ron. Carl Wolf. Joe Good. Sorry. And Taylor. Uh, my name is Harley. I'm George. I'm Ben. I'm Deb. I'm Naomi. My name is Gary. I'm Jonathan. Peter. My name is Dennis. I'm Andreas. Okay. I'm Flint. My name is Glenn. My name is Bill. I'm Tom Bruin. I'm Brian. I'm Oswaldo. Peter. My name is John. My name is Jeffrey. My name is Michael. Jared. My name is Tage Lomia. Tatuan. My name is Dal Miranda. <coughs> Jay Davidson. My name is Jerry. My name is Don Weaver. I'm Paul. My name is Lee Robbins. Baruch. Paul Winternitz. George Chen. My name is Ray Dyer. I'm Fernando. <coughs> I'm Ben. My name is Michael. My name is Howard Deport. My name is Bill Hurley. I'm Andrea. I'm Paul. I'm Marvin Snow. Deb and Naomi, is this your first time with us here? Yes, it is. Oh, welcome mm, to you. Welcome. George, is this your first time as well? This is my first time. Your first time? Welcome, welcome to you. And Deb, this is your first time as well. Great. Welcome to all of you first timers and welcome once again to everyone. Our speaker today is Heather Sunberg. Heather began teaching meditation in 1999, primarily to youths and families. A graduate of the Spirit Rock Community Dharma Leaders Program, she is currently in teacher training under the guidance of Jack Cornfield. Beginning her own meditation practice in her late teens, Heather has studied with senior teachers in the Vipassana and Tibetan traditions for over 15 years and has sat one to three months of retreat a year for over a decade. She's been a family program teacher and manager since 2001 and is a teacher for a weekly women's class. She brings to her teaching a passion for the depth of retreat practice, combined with a playful creativity for integrating the teachings into daily life. Welcome, Heather. <laughs> Thank you. I've actually never heard that bio I've read out loud. It's quite interesting to hear, hear about myself. <laughs> hmm. I too want to welcome the people who are new. Um, I have taught in this wonderful space before, but I'm new to this group, and so I know that walking in new 
Um, there's a wide variety of different kind of emotions and just this felt sense of where do I fit in here? Is this okay? Am I okay? How is everybody else doing? Just this interpersonal practice uh, that's hidden behind the pleasantries of hi, how you doing? And, and all of that. And I uh, also just really want to say hello to the folks sitting up against the wall there on my right, who I won't be able to see during this talk, but I really see you. Um, and I really respect you taking care of your bodies that way. That's exactly it. Yeah, I really respect that. I have spent many a Dharma talk up against a wall. It can be very skillful. <laughs> hmm. I also love the practice that your community does, that this community does of saying names. That's a practice that I do with my women's class at Spirit Rock every week. And it's quite a powerful practice of calling ourselves into the space and into the community by saying our names. And I mention that because I think that very simple practice that you do every week ties into the theme that I'll be talking about actually for the next three months when I come here. And that's the theme of uh, working with and transforming judgments. And I really see in the women's class that I teach how we say our names, the way that we do it is we each say our first name, the community says it back, and we're in a circle. And we've talked so much about that moment of putting our name into a group of people some of whom are known, some of whom aren't known, and that there's a continuum of the flicker of hesitation to the, oh, today when I said I really felt like I was a part of, and this whole dance that our mind does. And even more importantly, when the community says our name back, you know, when we really feel seen by the community, how much can we take that in? And what kind of layers inhibit us from taking that in? has a lot to do with the judgment work. So I want to say before I start all this, something that you already have noticed, which is um, I'm working half-mast with my voice. And uh, you're not going to catch it because it's been 10 days, but it's the first time that I'm speaking publicly since... Uh, I became voice compromised, and this is the most voice that I've had in 10 days. So I really um, invite you to be in relationship with this condition of not quite enough voice, and I don't know what will happen with the cough. But just if you can't hear me, please you know, just raise your hand so that I can try to speak up. But again, I think it has something to do with the judgment work because I can feel the part of myself uh, that we do when our bodies aren't quite as we want them to be. And that judgment of, you know, Heather, why can't you just step it up a little bit with the voice, speak a little louder? And then that fear, but what if I cough? And Oh, somehow coughing is like not good enough. Coughs happen. You know? <laughs> Um, this, this is the work. It's why I'm interested in the work, because we're all included and everything is included. We all belong um, in this type of work of transformation, of judgments and the judging mind. And it's a beautiful, painful thing. 
So please, you know, be in relationship with me with that. It'll be great uh, what ground for judgments. You'll be judging me, I'll be judging myself, and I'll be blaming, you know. It's like there's all this stuff going on in our minds underneath the social pleasantries. That's the stuff that I'm interested in in practice is um, the, the places underneath. I also heard that the fact that I'm coming three months in a row is somewhat unusual, and working with a theme for three <coughs> meetings in a row is somewhat unusual. The permission that that gives me is that I don't feel this sense that I sometimes feel that I have to give this huge uh, download or fit everything in. I feel a lot of space, and it'll really be up to you what... I happen to say today inspires, and then how you play with it or don't play with it, forget about it, in the coming month, and then we'll tap into it again. We'll tap into it again in June. And some of the things that we'll be discussing, it's like, in part, I'll be guiding a journey of the community, but really the journey is each of our own journey. You know, we each go on our own journey as we hear people talk about the truth this is how I experience it anyway. It touches something, and then we go on our own journey um, through that and have our own learning through that. So there's the teachings, and then there's the fact that there's a room full of teachers, you know, and the experience is the teacher. So it's a wonderful way to work uh, in this practice. And I thought because we have a number of meetings. I'll say just a word about some of the things I'll be touching on and that we'll be touching on as a community, and then I'll go back and start at the beginning because there's time. <coughs> so some of the things that we'll be discussing are, you know, what are judgments? What make them different from your regular garden variety thoughts? Um, how do they work in us personally, interpersonally, in our communities? Uh, skillful ways to play with them and work with them, investigate them, and free them from their destructive power, the ones that aren't helpful. Um, so everything from just playful little creative ways that I've come up with over the years to talking some about um, specific heart practices and uh, loving kindness being the one that you might have heard about before, but some others as well. So that's kind of the, the framework, the overlay. But it feels important in some ways to start at the beginning. And I'm kind of glad that I am because one of the things that I noticed when I walked in to this community is the community-ness of it. And I go to a lot of different communities and a lot of different places to teach, and they're all precious. But I just want to offer... a what a wider perspective for, especially for those of you that this is your core group, your, your core um, meditation community. And so it's like, oh yeah, it's another Sunday morning, it's another speaker. Um, that where I travel, there's a wide range of the way community expresses itself. And I really noticed the connection in this community when I came in. And it felt so welcoming. So I really want to thank you for your welcome. And it inspires me to share a little bit more personally than I might 
um, so that you get a sense of me since I'll be coming through for a few months here and, and perhaps hopefully in the future as well. That bio that Roy read said I started meditating in my late teens, I did, uh, when I was 17. And it was one of the main tools that saved my life at a time when my life was in danger in some ways. And I'm not going to say too much more about that right now. But it really did. It saved my heart and it saved my life. And I'm extremely grateful. It wasn't the only thing that did, but it was a primary tool. And so uh, for me, Spirit Rock Meditation Center has been my primary home base. It's been where I've grown up in the Dharma, in the teachings, in the meditation practice. And when I was 23... I sat my first long retreat at Spirit Rock, and the retreat center had just opened, and it was the first long retreat. There was a three-week option and a six-week option. I signed up for the three-week option, and a week into it, went to one of my teachers and said, oh, I I clearly have made a mistake. I need to stay for six weeks. Um, Can I do that? And they weren't sure. I learned later that one of them said, perhaps I should go get a job instead. (laughs) I I actually only learned that about six months ago. (laughs) It was a teacher that's now a friend. Um, Bless her heart. Anyway, my heart was sold on the depth of the training that happens in a retreat format. And when I came out of that retreat, I had just finished... a a series of being trained educationally for a profession which was teaching um, teaching children actually and so I didn't have any resources at all and I came back to to Spirit Rock and I said I'm so grateful for what has been given to me and um, I want to give back I don't have any money I don't have any resources um, but I have some time I don't know if you can use me I'm a teacher uh you know, I don't know if that's helpful here. And they said, oh, yes, we have a family program. So I'm starting to fill in that bio now. I'm not going to finish that particular piece of the story. But what ended up happening was soon after that retreat, so I was 24, James Barras came to me. How many of you have heard of James Barras or know James? He's kind of a local Bay Area teacher, been around forever. It's okay if you haven't. <laughs> Um, he came to me and he said, Heather, uh, I want you to teach the Dharma. And I went, oh, <laughs> that sounds exciting and terrifying. Um, I said, well, what would you like me to do? And he said, well, actually, I want you to teach the Dharma. I want you to teach the meditation to teenagers. You know, those of you that can see my face. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You want me to teach meditation to teenagers. I have no experience with teenagers. I liked four-year-olds, okay? Six-year-olds, maybe 10-year-olds. And so I said, you know, I always said I would never teach teenagers, period. And he kind of investigated that with me. He said, really, Heather? He said, I think you'd be great at that. And I said, "Um, well, I don't. And... I just didn't think I could do it. I was afraid they would reject me. I was afraid of them. I was afraid I wouldn't 
connect uh, fear 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 and a lot of self-judgment I'm just I just wasn't good enough to like work with a hard group like teenagers in my own mind of course the end of the story is look what I'm doing been doing for a living for the last decade so you know how it ends family and teen program so he said to me Heather um, why don't you go do some reflection about what might be important enough for you to teach teenagers like is there any reason that that could be inspiring to you or just see if you can tap into something and so I did because I respected him and I loved him and I went and did some reflection and what came out of that reflection in a way is what inspires me teaching this theme which I teach a lot especially in the last year I've been teaching a lot and I thought to myself, well, when I was a teenager, I didn't, and I started meditating, I really didn't have teachers. I learned from books. There was a little women's circle that I went to, um, and they were doing all kinds of things, including meditation. I fell in love with the meditation part. And I didn't have that support that I needed. So I thought about that. And I thought, well, you know, what would have been helpful to me at that time? that I know now, at the ripe old age of 24, so when this story was happening, that I, that I didn't know then. And three things came. The first thing was really the framework for almost any topic I can think of to talk about in this tradition. It was the framework of what's called the Four Noble Truths, or the Four Truths. And it was the groundwork teaching that the Buddha taught after his deep awakening or enlightenment and if you haven't heard it before or even just to hear it in different language because every time I hear a different person talk about this teaching I learn something There's a di everyone languages it a little bit differently so the way that I'll language it in a simple way is that the first truth is the truth of really the truth of suffering it's the truth that coming into the world, being born, is challenging and it hurts in some way. You know, that living a life and growing old and getting sick and not having your voice and having a cough isn't easy. You know, and that the dying process, the going out process also isn't easy. It's challenging. Um, and things just have a way of not working out the way we'd like them to. So that which we love has a tendency to, you know, disappear and become separated from us. And that which is annoying, which we just wish would go away, has this tendency to stay around a lot longer than we wish it would. You know, these are just unnaming human conditions. And it's the first truth that the Buddha talked about. Some people, when they first hear that, go, well, that's depressing. Um, but for me, with my history, when I heard that, I said, Someone's finally calling it like it is. What a relief. I can show up here. This is real. Yeah. The second truth is the other reason that I like the first truth. The Buddha didn't leave it there and said, Oh yeah, life is hard, things are unsatisfactory, stress is part of a human being living a life. Period. No. He went and said, Well, why? How come? It has to be hard sometimes. There's a cause. The second truth is, is the, some of the causes, the causes of 
the mind and the heart and the whole kind of mind-body system which craves. Uh, it, you know, it craves us being someone, and then sometimes it craves us not being that someone. And we're always in this dance around comfort with our senses. So it's like we can experience that right here, you know. Like right now, um, my voice is doing good enough, but the knee here is feeling a little bit sore. And I just notice as I'm speaking, like these little flickers of, is it okay? Should I move? Is, is anybody else here having that as I'm speaking? Just little kind of shifts, bodily discomfort. You don't have to like, you know, break your anonymity on that. But that's part, you know, we're always trying to get that comfort zone. And then we get it and it's like, ah, oh, that was the perfect meditation. You know, that was the perfect dinner with someone. All conditions were in alignment. And then it changes, and we beat ourselves up, and we blame the world because we think there's some kind of mistake. That's the judging mind. And it's so natural. It's like when I say it that way, I hope you can feel like how natural that is, how human that is. You know, we're not a mistake on planet Earth for doing that. It's just a response. And this practice, as we move into the third truth, is how to have a range of choice about that response. You know, so here we are, human beings living a life. There's all this insanity going on. There's all this reactivity going on. How can we choose our most skillful, wisest, most compassionate response in every single moment, knowing that it's progress and not perfection in that cycle, right? And the third noble truth acknowledges that Wow, there is a way out of this. You know, we don't just have to be stuck in this cycle with no other choices forever. There's a way out. And so the third Dimitri says, you know, there's a way out. Peace is possible. And peace is possible with our very lives, with the societal conditions going on, with our bodies as they are, uh, with our families of origin. I'm not saying that... There isn't great harm going on, and I'm not talking about condoning actions. I'm talking about peace being possible within the beauty and the mess. That's the third truth. And then the fourth truth is the path or the way. And it's funny, as I said that, it sounds so concrete. It's not. It's a dance. It's a path. So if you have a path, you know, on the other side of the path, there's like, you know, poison oak and a beautiful oak tree. And, you know, if you're walking through a park, you, you go off and you investigate the, the oak tree and then you go get poison oak. And, you know, I mean, you're walking. It's a path. You know, sometimes it's fun and sometimes you get tired and, and that's its nature. But some of the components of the path for practice, for play, for investigation are looking at our ethical conduct, looking at developing more and more mindfulness or moment-by-moment attention in our lives, you know, how to bring a wise effort of heart and body to that process, how to develop focus, and out of that, really being guided by our deepest intentions in our lives, what we really, really care about when the chips are down, and by that wisdom that's inherent in us, that no matter what we've done, and no matter what's happened to us, 
It can't be removed. We get confused, but the wisdom's there, and it guides us. And every single one of us knows that. I'm just naming what we already know. So I realized that I didn't have access to that teaching in a language that I could relate with when I was a teenager and starting the practice, and that was important. That was important enough for me to maybe make a leap into unknown territory. The second piece in the reflection that I did that was really important was this whole thing about not enough. I'm not enough. I'm just not good enough. I try and I try and I care so much that it hurts sometimes. And it's just not enough. It's never enough. I'm not good enough. That part of me, that part of you. And even at the ripe young age of 24, that habit of mind and heart had been so powerful in me that I had dedicated a huge amount of time and energy on the cushion, in psychotherapy, in my communities, to learning how to live with that voice that said, Heather, you're not good enough. You're just not good enough. And I had learned enough even at that point to know that no matter how much I othered these teenagers with my judgments you know, and said, you're not like me, or I can't connect with you, you know, and we all have our groups that we do that with, um, that it might be important to sit in the fire with them with that truth that we all have that voice. Sometimes it's louder than others, different cycles of life, it's louder than others, different conditions happen in our lives and it's louder than others, but it whispers there, the same way that 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 wisdom voice whispers there, these whispering thoughts or voices. And I thought, you know, that's why I could teach teenagers. That's why I could teach something about what little I know at all, even now. And then the last piece of what felt important to me, which doesn't so much have to do with judgment work, but I say it because I'm new in the community and I'm going to be here for a few meetings, and it's really the spirit in which I I teach and in which I practice. So it feels important to name also because it's part of the story. And that third piece was about a teaching from the time of the Buddha that's called the uh, Kalama Sutta, is what it's called. The Kalamas were a group of people who lived at that time in a small town. That reminds me very much of Marin County, which is where uh, I grew up, in the sense that they had a lot of spiritual teachers coming through there and a lot of hype, you know. So San Francisco, too. But I'll just talk about where, you know, my experience. 
just a lot of input coming through, you know. You so I imagine present day that village is like you should get your horoscope checked. You should do this special body work. Oh, there's this new psychotherapy called somatic experiencing. You absolutely should try it out. And have you tried Zen? Well, if you don't like the Berkeley Zen Center, maybe go to Green Gulch. Maybe like a country atmosphere would be better for you. So this is the environment, their version of it, of course, 2,500 years ago. Lots of teachers, lots of wisdom coming through. What an abundance, you know? What grace that we have to live at this time. You know, in, in all wisdom traditions, not just Buddhism. There's so much wisdom traditions here in the Bay Area. And so the Buddha came through, and these folks uh, were in their cycle where they weren't actually feeling very abundant. They were feeling kind of jaded, which is where I got to when I was in my late teens. It's like, don't tell me about that horse group, you know. It's like, I've had it. You know, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm not knocking horoscopes. That was just me at the time, and it's an example, uh, you know. But really, that jadedness, that worn outness, that don't give me another like telling me like it is thing. Don't tell me what's true. And that's really where they were at in some ways as a community. And the Buddha came and gave his teachings, and they said, "Well, you know, why should we take your word for what's true?" And I love his response. Some of you know this story. His response was, actually, don't take my word for it. Don't, and this is the Buddha speaking, it's also me speaking. Don't take my word for it because I said it. Don't, you know, don't take my, don't believe it because you read it somewhere. Don't believe it because some other wise person said it. Don't believe it because everyone else is peer pressuring you to believe it. Don't believe it. Look and see for yourself what is true, what rings true. And so I feel like that's important for all of us. And I certainly want to say it if I'm going to come here and speak three times in a row. Don't believe it because I said it. And I'm just naming what you already know. I'm offering permission for what you already know. That this is an investigation that we each go look and see for ourselves. So because of those three things, I went and started teaching teenagers. And after the initial terror of coming together with the so-called other, um, I discovered that fundamentally they were a lot like me and that I loved them. And so I have this very long-term commitment of doing that work. So that's where it started. And now you know me a little bit better. And I feel like those three pieces that came to me on the reflection really are the framework to hold in terms of the teachings when meeting the judgmental mind and self and others. You know, that, that that's a really helpful framework. So I'll just say a word about judgments, and then I want to leave a few minutes 
for the community to be included in this teaching because there's so much wisdom in the room. So we'll just keep it simple. And I'm going to give a simple definition about what a judgment is. And then it might trigger something in you, you know, and you might choose to be bold and raise your hand and say, well, you know, that and my understanding of it is this. And it's like, great. Then that wisdom gets added into this collective spiritual awakening that we're all involved in. And you don't have to be a Buddhist to be involved in it. It's not denominational. So... So judgment, what is a judgment? What am I talking about? In a simple way, there's just thoughts, right? And we have hundreds of millions of them a day. Endless, endless, endless storylines from the random blips to like the five hour internal story that runs forever to the one that we've been telling ourselves for the last 10 years and every single time there's a certain situation, a certain person or certain whatever, that same thought process goes off. There's all those. And, ah, there she is, that cough. I knew she'd come eventually. So there's that. And one of the things that makes a judgment a judgment is the charge. And when I say the word charge, it's like, let me give a, just a very concrete example. Something right here. Okay, so I've got this little shawl thing. And a simple thought would just be, you know, I'm wearing a shawl. Shawl is orange with a pattern. Okay? Orange with a pattern. Everyone can see it. <laughs> And then from that, that's like your first thought. That's your bottom line thought. And then from that, the judgments start coming. You know, oh, that's that's a really pretty orange. I, I really like that orange. But, you know, I saw an orange that I, I liked better. Actually, you know, whoever dyed this, I'm not really sure they, they did such a good job. There's like blemishes. You know, I'm kind of hot. Why don't I take it off? I mean, I'm, I'm actually feeling kind of hot right now. But if I take it off, then I'm going to feel kind of uncomfortable. Why do you feel uncomfortable when you're not wearing this shawl, Heather? What's going on with you? Like you can't expose yourself to these, this room of people? I mean, seriously, there are underlying thoughts. I'm not making this up. Like this is the underlying thing going on here. You know, and it's way, way down there. You'd never know it was happening. Every single one of us is doing it. You know, I won't torture you by giving examples of judging others but it's whenever there's sense contact you know whether it's felt whether it's a feeling whether it's a smell a sound a taste a sight there's these initial thoughts of this is how it is which may or may not be true and then the judgments spin out from that and there's this charge with them there's such a difference between I'm wearing a shawl that's orange to, you know, why can't you, like, take this off? And that, I mean, can you hear the difference in the tone? It's really different. So there's a charge to it. And I'll talk more another time about what that charge is made of. But just to say really simply, a lot of it is it's an emotional charge. 
There's some strong emotions trying to get our attention. That's really important. I'm going to talk about how to work with that probably next time. So judgments are thoughts that have charge to them. And when I'm talking about judgments, off, most of the time <coughs> I'm talking about judgments that are on the continuum of what we call negative but there's absolutely just as many positive judgments. And so we'll, I'll talk next time about this swing of inflation and deflation that we go into personally, interpersonally, and on a societal level. Um, this swing that we do and how judgments feed that. So that's a really, really simple <coughs> definition of judgments. And I just want to check in with Roy because... We want to do some announcements at what, 10 till? About 10 till. Sometimes I, I'll push it to 5 till. Okay. We have about another 10 to 15 minutes. We can do it. Okay, great, great. Because I really want to have time for, um, to share the experience in the room. I've just touched on this. This is a really small piece. So don't feel like you might have some thought or some question or piece of experience that you want to share that I didn't touch on. That's actually really important because it informs the community about what's of interest to the community. And then I can share a little bit about that next time and we can keep going. So it's very, it's a very much a service. Anyone who feels bold enough to share or ask a question. Um, yeah. Hi. Hi. Thank you very much for sharing your story. And I'll try to make this really quick, but one of the things I've often struggled with is if I'm on a path, yeah. path, and then I'm sort of halfway there, or I think I'm halfway there, and I realize maybe this is not the right path. Yeah. What do I do? Do I keep struggling to the end, or do I turn around and seek another path? Mm. And then I start judging. Yeah. Both directions. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Thank you so much. That's a very, very um, poignant question and share. I'm going to repeat it in brief in case some of the people over here couldn't hear, which is always a little dangerous because, what's your name? Philip. You know, because Philip languished it in his own language, and I'm about to butcher that a little bit, so I'm going to do the best I can. <laughs> so he's asking a question about, if if he's on the path and and the que- and the question comes up about you know am i on the right path and then the judgments come so it's a very short version and and i wouldn't be at all surprised if a lot of people in this room have had a moment in their life like that you know is this the right thing and then we second guess ourselves the doubt comes in so maybe to say a word about doubt and judgments because doubt is a huge fueler of judgments and in terms of the Buddhist teachings which you also asked specifically to say something about that doubt is one of the five so-called hindrances to practicing on the path I say so-called hindrance because I actually see that doubt has a lot of potential in it and actually a lot of power that we can use to continue on the path. But until we unlock the door to that power, it's a hindrance. 
So I love it that it has both, you know, it can confuse us, it can tie us up, and it has hidden potential. Classically, faith is always the word that's used in terms of working with doubt. I like to translate the word faith, though, as trust. And for me, in moments when I'm not sure if it's all worth it, and I've sure had those moments on this path, Sometimes for me, it's just this simple training of, of having the compassion to learn to ask myself a question. So I might just ask myself, you know, can I trust this moment? I don't know if it's the right path. I don't know what I can do or what I should do. Can I trust this moment? And also sometimes doubt needs a little bit of somatic assistance. So and I might talk about this actually, the whole story, another time. But this whole thing about when the Buddha sat under the tree of enlightenment, the Bodhi tree, before he became enlightened, putting his hand on the earth, saying, you know, the earth is my witness to my right to all this work, you know, that, that, that I'm going to move forward and then I'm going to wake up. And so feeling my feet on the ground in those moments, no matter whether it's asphalt or green grass, you know, really dropping the attention back in the body because there's a spin-out that happens in those judgments. And sometimes just coming back into the body can help that spin-out resolve itself a little bit. So that was not a full answer. And I also want to say, um, if I had more time, I'm a lot more interested in what you're already doing than what I just told you. So I would ask you to investigate the tools that you're already using that you might not be fully aware of, that are already your allies. Thank you. I appreciate the question. Thanks. Please. Last week I had a, I was interrupted actually doing something that was, I didn't want to be interrupted doing at home. A friend of mine called and uh, she, uh, she set me up so that I had to call somebody who was not well, person mm-hmm. that I really didn't, I didn't want to call. Mm-hmm. She set a situation where I really had to do it. And I threw my coat back. How dare you do that? You don't ask me first. Will you, will you do this? Yeah. You're always doing that or something like that. Reactivity. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like that. I don't like that about me. Said something that would have not been, you know, you're bad. And I think when I, in, in my attempt to explicate the precepts in my life, I find uh, not being reactive is one of the things. I think I, I, I'm trying to practice not to be reactive, but it's very hard to do that. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like a boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if you want to say something. Yeah, but that's really good. Then there's the negativity that comes afterwards. And, uh, and we, we, we were able to smooth it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many people in the last month have had a situation where they had strong reactivity to somebody interpersonally and it came out their mouth in some way? This is a show of hands. And please use your eyes and look. 
Now, if I had said longer, it would be everybody in the room. Okay? It's a really, I really appreciate you bringing it in the room because it's like that truth of this is one of the experiences of being a human being living a life. And actually, the part of your share that touched me the most was the place where you said, I don't like that. I don't like that about myself. Yeah. Because Not to say what your experience was, because I don't know what your experience was when you said it, but what I felt was just this um, vulnerability in that self-judgment. But what I also felt was like this caring and this potential for caring. It's like sometimes when we notice that we don't like ourselves for something, what can be uncovered is wow, I care so much about being skillful. I care so much about being connected. I care so much about being real. You know? And that's what the judgment revealed. You know, Sometimes that's the hidden wisdom that can be revealed out of that judgment, which is so harsh towards ourselves and others. So again, I would, um, it's always dangerous with somebody I don't know, but to edit that just a little bit, you said, I just, I don't meditate anymore, I just practice the precepts and do all this. I'm going to delete the just. Seriously. You know, this path is not about meditation rules. It's really not. It's about liberation. You know, it's about the precepts, and it's about how we interact, and it's about sitting, and we go through cycles where one is more predominant than the other. That's all. So I really, deeply thank you for your practice. It is so needed in this world. So I think we probably have time for one more. Yes. So um, I'm wondering if you have a recommendation for a method or a practice to tune into and observe our judgments more closely. Yes. Because we tend to, there, you know, that can be uncomfortable. We tend to back away from what's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And yet, for myself, when I will stop and actually tune into it, I find there's, a, you know, there's things to learn mm-hmm. and it can be a great source of wisdom and finding yes. answers. But we don't often settle down and do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, can everybody hear that? Okay. So he's looking for tools. And yes, that will be actually the core of, I'm going to come the third Sunday in May and the last Sunday in June, and that will be the core of it. But to, to answer it for you in this moment so that you don't have to wait a month and, and anyone else that feels like it's helpful, what I would ask you... What I'm going to be talking about are, are certain heart practices, some um, body practices, somatic practices, and then some kind of like creative uh, mental note type of things, kind of thought practices that work with them. And I'm just curious whether you have one of those three that's like strong for you that you like to use. Like, are you kind of a, you know, using the body as a, as a tool to be present or having some sort of creative thought to apply to a thought or a heart practice? Well, I want to find something more regular. Yesterday I was reading a list of 
intentions that I go over regularly. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I noticed that with many of them, there was this subtle underlying negative charge or mm. judgment, like what, you know, you know, how do you, how do you expect to accomplish that or whatever. Uh -huh. um, and in tuning into them, it was really powerful to go down the list and say, hey, that's interesting, each one has something underlying. But it would be great if that didn't just happen by happenstance. Okay, so I'm looking for tools, but I'll come back. Yeah, yeah, no, but really, really simple what came to me when you said that. One of my favorite ones that can be applied anywhere, anytime. I use it all the time. And it's from, and it, you could use it as you're doing your intention practice and you hear the judgments. You can use it any other time of day, night, etc. And it's from Ajahn Amro, who is the um, co-abbot of Abayagiri Monastery in Mendocino. Um, and he has this little practice that some I picked up somewhere along the way when we were teaching together, and he said, you know, when I have a thought that has heavy charge on it, he didn't even say judgment necessarily, he just said thought with heavy charge. He said, I always ask myself, and if you know, if for those of you who know him, he's a Brit. I have a terrible British accent, but I'm going to throw it in anyway. Uh, and that's actually not even a judgment. You'll hear it. <laughs> so he asks himself whenever there's like a judgment or heavy charge question, is that so? <laughs> is that so? And it just like blows the belief out of the whole thing. It's like we have a judgment towards ourselves and the other, and you just sort of train yourself. Is that so? And you can use the British accent or not. But, you know, it brings a smile to my face. You know, you use an accent that isn't your own that you're terrible at to bring a smile to your face. I mean, you know, you don't have to do that. The point is, it's an easy thing to train your mind to do. It works anywhere, and it brings a smile to your face, which really helps dissipate the charge. Uh, so that's one. <laughs> Will you be available for questions, perhaps during the social hour? We can stay a little bit. Sure, sure, absolutely. And and I would I would say also, you know, if you're interested in this type of practice, um, and this community does seem pretty connected, and and we'll absorb the people who are new quickly, so that you feel more connected and more connected. But talk to somebody after the class or call them up if you're in contact with them say hey you know would you be my buddy in, in helping me work, um, work with judgments the next month you know send an email or next week when you come here how is it going you make it your own and a lot of you won't do it and it's just a suggestion it's not a should but I put it out there <laughs> thank you so much for today yeah you're welcome thank you can we hear from our host Please. Yes, I'm the host. Um, so um, there's a few things to eat out there. Help yourselves to tea. When you're finished, make sure to clean your cup with soapy warm water at the sink. Put it on the back. Um, there is a I'll be passing my Donovan and suggested offering is five to eight dollars if you feel so inclined. There's I think a sign-up sheet on the credenza. People can sign up to get on the list. And um, there, <coughs> people often meet a half an hour at 12.30 to um, head out for lunch. So people can congregate there if they care to join others to do that. 
And I think that's everything. Lists. Signing up lists. Yeah, Send lists. The sign up lists on the credenza. Yeah. How about another announcement? Sean so our speaker next week is Sean, Sean Faye. He's a, I don't know, I, I gather he's spoken here before. Um, he is a practitioner of Rinzai and Anthelabhada Buddhism. And he is a yoga teacher and practitioner. And he focuses especially on alignment and breath, breath control. Um, and he is also a pianist. Um, um, he teaches piano. And he performs for the uh, Circle Zero Company. And if this is not enough, he is one of the only pe people I know who's managed to actually live in Burma and not just travel. <laughs> so that travel log should be should be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those who are interested in another sitting group uh, on Monday tomorrow. Um, from 5.30 to 6.30 at the Gay Center is a group that's been going on for about eight, eight years. It's similar in format to this. We sit for a half hour and then uh, there's a, a Dharma talk for about 20 or 25 minutes and it meets uh, at 5.30 at the Gay Center. It's a good one-two punch is how I look at it. I get at least an hour of meditation in, in two days. Uh, and uh, it's a really, uh, you know, very, very diverse sangha with age and um, gender, and so uh, the Gay Center, 5.30. Just a quick reminder, um, Naomi, Deb, George, and Anne are new here today, so if, there's, if they can join us for the social hour, please say hello and welcome them. Let's go ahead and stand for the dedication of marriage. <laughs> Roy asked me to lead the dedication of merit, so I'm going to lead one that I do a lot in some of my groups, and we'll do a call and response so everyone can put their voice into it. But what it is is really an acknowledgement that it's impossible to do this practice for ourselves alone, that we've already offered it to ourselves, to this community, and as we go out further and further into the world, we're going to keep offering it in widened circles. So we'll do a call and response. May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May I receive the blessings of my life. May I receive the blessings of my life. May those I love receive the blessings of my life. May those I love receive the blessings of my life. May those I do not love receive the blessings of my life. May those I do not love receive the blessings of my life. May all those in this circle receive the blessings of my life. May all those in this circle receive the blessings of my life. May all beings receive the blessings of my life. 
May all beings receive the blessings of my life. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.